Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome in Rose City to another episode of the Soccer Made in Portland podcast. I'm Ryan Clark, uh, joined here today by a special guest on the podcast, Portland Thorns head coach Rian Wilkinson. Uh, Rian, how are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? Doing good. Uh, glad to have you on the podcast. Uh, important that uh, fans hear your, your perspective uh, and really excited to, to hear from you today. Um, how have you been spending the international break? so far yeah after our game on the weekend we had two days off which was really nice i went to visit detroit lake so i'm getting to explore a little bit outside of portland which is fun um and then uh yeah back to back to training yesterday and uh back to back to work essentially sweet so are you an outdoorsy person then do you, do you like to do that kind of thing I do. I think a lot of people like me in the pandemic uh, turned to walking and getting out into nature. And that's something I'd like to continue to, uh, through, you know, through the rest of my life because it really it was something I, I really enjoyed. Yeah, a good way to clear the head, uh, especially during the grind maybe of a, of a long season. Um, this season, though, uh, this team is looking like one of one of the better sides in NWSL, uh, five straight games without a loss, uh, including last four uh, 15 to two outscoring your opponents. Um, I, I'm curious about your thoughts about the team's form right now. You've spoken about this before, but but I'm wondering um, what clicked with, with this group to kind of get them into into this form. Yeah, I, I think we're coming off a very um, dominant display last weekend and when that happens it's it's easy to get a little bit too excited about where we're at this is still a team that's got uh, work to do uh, in a lot of different areas but what I do love seeing is that they're really enjoying playing together there's some clear partnerships that are happening I think people's skill sets are being highlighted so those those games don't happen very often they need to be celebrated and I told the team like this is something that doesn't happen frequently these complete domination where the, the whole team plays well. Um, but it also can't become too much because not two day, two games before we had a performance against San Diego that I would say was one of our weakest of the year. So this is the the life of a coach is trying to keep the balance between the, the swings of momentum that happen um, between uh, performances. Right. And, and, you know, there have been different players out with injuries so far um, and, despite that despite the importance of those players that have been out uh this team ha has been able to be have a next woman up mentality and, and step up uh, in those games 
Um, what, what can you say about that being indicative of this team's culture and, and just the, the ability for um, different players to step in in those different times? Yeah, I think uh, professional sport is innately a selfish endeavor. I mean, everyone individually wants to succeed and wants to, to play at the, the highest level. And the greatest thing to see, therefore, is a team that enjoys playing together, that has one another's back, that supports one another in their successes. I think that was the greatest thing for me in this 6 nothing display is the celebration of the first for people that were happening on the field. Um, was was very special like that that moment um, for me was one of my proudest uh, but that is what happens injuries happen in this game and uh, people are there and ready and uh, you can't underestimate how hard that is to do everyone wants to play every time I deliver a starting lineup someone's heart is breaking because they're not on it and then how you put that aside to be the best teammate you can be and then in one second even it changes and someone is injured and then you're stepping on the field and you have to be ready and a wonderful example is Olivia Moultrie against Houston literally the last kick of warm-up um, Sinky felt something and um, I was already in the locker room preparing for the, my pregame talk and walked up to lives you're starting now um, you know Sink gave her the information she needed she prepared herself mentally she steps on the field and as a 16 year old and delivers a fantastic performance so that is that is the exciting part for this team they they, they are really able to ban to balance so so incredibly well the, their individual um, wants and for themselves with being a part of a really successful team definitely and um you've ex you've shown a willingness this season to to kind of switch things up tactically uh just based on the available personnel uh the most recent game against Orlando moving Natalia back um and and switching it up there um is there one thing you want to stick with more often than the other in terms of your tactical approach uh or it is it just kind of going to be a game by game basis availability of players uh, that type of thing yeah, I think there's a little bit of a misconception that my structural changes are happening because of injury. That is something that's considered, but I actually made my yearly plan many months ago in preseason, and then that gets adjusted as um, things work or don't work or as opposition, I start to understand them better, remembering it. At the beginning of this year, there were so many new coaches and so many new builds of teams. I didn't know how many, many teams were going to play, so it was always predictive planning. Um, and then the structural changes happen and are planned to happen because of this international break coming up, because of injury, because of who we're playing and what I think is going to be best against them. Um, that's just one of my fundamental beliefs as a coach and not that's the gift of being a coach. Everyone has their own philosophies and one of mine is being able to adapt to, to what's needed. Um, and it, instead of it being reactionary, most of it is planned. However, there have been a game. There has been a game where I've had to change tactically what I wanted to do because of an injury. But the rest have been planned uh, in preseason. For sure. And um, coaches, you know, especially in their first year, there there seems to be a lot of um, outside pressure. Like, how are they going to perform? What are the changes that they make going to do to impact the the well being of a team? Maybe. Um, but at the end of the day, there's still, you know, people adjusting to a new job. Um, for you, what, what has been some of the things that has, have surprised you, 
um, so far in this job and, and what have been, I guess, some of the some of the joys? Yeah, I think that the outside pressure is why I want to do this job, why the players want to do their jobs as we pressure is part of what we know by being expect to win every time they step on the field. And it's not just winning, it's how they win and how they perform. And that piece is something I've really I've really liked and I maybe I wasn't expecting how much of winners they are. I knew they were winners and it but it's just this idea of like if things are sticky or they that working through it, they they're so frustrated with themselves and um that's what's making them great, it's what's made them great and it's what will continue to make them great, but it's this that's the pressure I feel like I I'm not on social media. I don't care if people want to yell at me in the street. I don't know them. Um but the pressure to make sure that the players are being set up as well as I possibly can so that they can be successful. Um, my ambition is for all of them to achieve all their aims. And um, that's, that's not an easy thing to do, but it's an exciting thing to do. And that, and that for me is where the pressure lies because you've got to win, you've got to be successful in order to highlight your players. Right. One of those players um, is, is Sophia Smith, somebody who's gotten a lot of um, attention, rightfully so, this season for her play. Uh, and her emergence really as a star in in this league. Um, do you think she should be in the conversation for NWSL MVP, just given how um, important she is to what you guys do and, and uh, how well she's she's been playing? Yeah, there's no doubt. And I wouldn't say she's just our importance to us as the Thorns, but to U.S. soccer. Um, I think Mark and his team did a fantastic job with her last year. I mean, she's not... This isn't her emergence has not come out of the blue as a superstar, but um, uh, what I've liked is she recognizes she's very, very early on in her career and however exciting you think she is now, um, just just the game and how much she's going to grow through experience, you can't hurry that. Just understanding um, spacing, how she wants to use it to roll like you know half the things she does I'm like did she do that on purpose that's unbelievable because she's she's already three steps ahead um and with her touch and pace I mean once she gets that locked down and once she's really understanding how she wants to play um she'll she is already unstoppable but even more so because if you try and mark Soph out the game what we've seen is it opens up huge pockets for others and got an eye for goal but absolutely setting people up the slip passes getting the end line pullbacks um, this is a, an all-round top player who's also a team player, and that's uh, that's um, a gift for all of U.S. soccer, not just the Thorns. Definitely, and um, for you personally, um, what are some of the the things that you uh, have interest in as far as hobbies and outside of soccer uh, be, beyond going on the on the beautiful nature hikes uh, in <laughs> Oregon? Uh, what are some of your your top things you enjoy doing in your free time? Free time has been hard to uh, hard to find since I first arrived, but that's been exciting. It's just been all in, just trying to figure everything out and get my feet under me and to make sure that the players never or feel the least amount of bump in the transition. Um, and that's huge credit to uh, my staff. So I inherited a really impressive group of people from Mark. I brought in Mike Norris um, as well. For, for me, that's been uh, exciting. Someone I've known for a long time who's helped with that. So uh, free time, um, I'm a huge reader. I do enjoy reading. Um, I, I do knit, but I keep that uh, quiet because Bella's a knitter as well. And I'm, a, I'm not very good, but I do enjoy it. And 
yeah, I, I, I just like spending time with, with friends and people I'm getting to know, but it, it's pretty quiet right now. I'm honestly, when I get back from work, I'm pretty tired <laughs> and then the days start again, but I expect this, uh, to find a rhythm and, and I'm already feeling that it's, it's getting into a good spot now where we can, um, start balancing our jobs and, uh, the, the full life that we want to lead outside of it as well. Right. And you've lived in Portland before, um, having been a player, but, um, being in the city more full-time now, um, what have been your impressions of, of Oregon just as a, as a place to live for you? Yeah, I mean, I've been told, and I remember the Portland summers being so special. I have had the rainiest introduction to Portland. Reintroduction, I should say, has been incredibly poor weather, which has very much helped my sleeping pattern, so I'll be grateful for that. I think we had one of our, our hottest days yesterday on the field, and then I quickly regretted uh, being so negative about the rain because I was burning up out there, but uh, it's, it's such a different feel to the city when the sun is out and everyone's out walking around along the the river and in the woods exploring forest park it's it's been nice to to see people out and you know with covid as well being in a place where we still have to take it very seriously but life is getting back to some sort of normalcy and, and that's been um it's kind of great to to be a part of last year i was stuck in covid protocols lockdown in the countryside in the UK and a year later I'm here in Portland so life changes quickly and it's it's all very exciting for sure the, uh, this week is an important week for women's sports generally uh, title nine anniversary this week um, in 1990 you lived in Wales for a time and and your school didn't offer soccer for girls uh, your mom uh, fought that and uh, I'm curious about your thoughts, considering the anniversary of Title IX, uh, about women past and present, like your mom, who, who have fought for equity in sports and, and what that means to you personally. Yeah, I love that, Ryan. Thank you for all your research. That's, that's incredible. Um, yeah, that's a, a seminal moment in my life and watching my strong mother, who was never given an opportunity to play sport growing up, it just wasn't a reality for her, um, go to bat for her daughter and a father who supported that as well. As a professional male rugby player, um, I think that the idea that his his son was going to read history at university and go on to an academic um, you know, career and his daughter was going to be the one in sport was took a second and then he became a full advocate as well so to the to the women and to the men who who have supported uh women stepping forward in this title nine is was critical strong leads like my mom who really pushed um old school thinking and me watching that as a as a young person becoming a professional soccer player as a female my grandfather till the day he died said imagine my granddaughter a professional female athlete I mean, he was such a huge supporter of mine, but he could not fathom this man who'd been in the front lines in World War II, you know, to come back to this changed world where opportunities were so different. Um, and those fights continue. So I'm now a female soccer coach. You see the, the huge change in the league this year with uh, so many more women coming in. But this is still frontline stuff. I mean that. I mean, the, the fight is ongoing. And Title IX was the beginning of something, and we're not near the end yet. Um, and the exciting part of the NWSL is that it is leading the charge in so many ways and 
it's been in the news for all the wrong reasons at, at points, but there's a lot coming here that's happening in this league now that is leading because it is everywhere, the stuff that this league has had to face. Um, across genders, across countries, across borders, it's it's everywhere, and um, the, there's still a lot to be done. And I like that I get to be a part of that and help push the boundaries for the young women now coming up behind me. Definitely, and the league has really grown so much in in the years since you first started playing in it. Um, that evolution. What what are your thoughts on on that generally? Just how the last 10 years have gone and, and what you expect maybe the next 10 years to look like for, for this league. I, uh, I was in my thirties and I was put in a, in a sort of shared housing when I first arrived in Boston and I, I was with an incredible family. I really enjoyed that experience, but it was not, it wasn't what I needed at that time in my life. At, at that age, uh, there was one car to share between four people. I used to have to go pick up three teammates and then drive them into Boston for training and then drive them home afterwards so you couldn't really go anywhere because you had to pick them up and drop them off. Um, yeah, financially it was it was tough and actually I made the decision of the four years I could have played in the NWSL, two of them I chose not to play. I forego a salary because I, I didn't feel like it was um, it was the right league for me. And coming back now and looking at what's being offered, the professionalism, um, the fight that the the women have done to to get the CBA across the line, how they're looking out for the players that play, but also the players that don't, the players that get released, the players that fall between the cracks, um, just groundbreaking work that's that's been done and continues to be done, um, is so exciting. And then, as you asked, like forecasting what's going to be here in ten years, it's hard to imagine because of how quickly things have been shifting in the last few years. Um, but the the U.S. soccer um, success in equal pay. Um, the I think Holland yesterday um, had the same to decide to do the same thing: equal pay between their men and the women. We await uh, other countries, uh, Canada, to get on board and get with the times. But you can only imagine um, how quickly things are now going to cascade in this realization that this is. Um, an exciting product, an entity that this game, it's equally uh, up there. And so, yeah, good things coming in the next uh, next few years for this league. Let's touch on, on that point you made about Canada, because um, <laughs> I, I think it's an important one, you know, to, to uh, discuss because, um, you know, the U.S. women obviously have made these huge strides um, and, and secured equal pay um, for, for the U.S. soccer federation um you coach and have played with uh players from canada uh, wh what are you hearing from them what what is the um discussion like right now for for that fight for the canada soccer yeah i won't speak for other people i'll speak for myself i was a player there for 16 years and then i coached there for four years before leaving um four years after i retired i was actually coaching there before i retired um what i what i um Real, what really pains me is we've ridden the coattails of U.S. soccer for a long time and taken advantage of the great work done here in the U.S., Title IX as an example, but U.S. scholarships, the NCAA, opportunities to develop our players. Um, and in certain respects, you've got to do that. We're a much smaller population. It's a different type of country. There's just different resources. Um, but equality is not one of the things you want to be riding the coattails of when you 
you pride yourself, I think. We tout ourselves as Canadians as being um, fair-minded, um, open-minded, uh, generous, and um, yeah, quite liberal thinking. And then you've got this idea that um, we've we've got to wait for what <laughs> um, to do it on our in our country. So I think. Um, yeah, it should be highlighted, and um, Canada soccer should have its feet held to the fire in this respect. In no other work in the world would it be okay to do the same drastically differently. And I don't, I know, I know the arguments. It's the same thing everywhere. Um, you know, some some older white dudes in Zurich have have created a, a system where they've put a lot more value on on men. Um, that is for FIFA to work out, but. Within our Canadian um, boundaries, I think we, we have to live by the morals and the ethics that we've created for ourselves, and that is of, of equality. So why would, it, why would that change just because it's soccer and not teaching, law? It makes no, no sense to me. So huge congratulations to the U.S., and thank you for, for giving such a great example to so many other countries that haven't, um, haven't lived up to the same standards yet. Right, and um, I, I think the evidence for support um, for for the women's side is is very clear in moments like uh, when we were up in Vancouver uh, at BC Place, uh, the packed stadium, the the face paint, the the screaming kids, the signs, the the people begging for your autograph, and and Karina's and and others. I mean, um, do you do you see that as as like part of of the evidence of um, pushing for? something like that just just the the level of support for for the women's game that has has emerged in in recent years only for those that need proof right i mean just baseline it makes no sense like just looking at it as like why 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 do we make them so suddenly more deserving the men are on board our men's team is so exciting i think john herdman and that group have done such a good job um, I'm a huge fan of theirs. They're a huge fan of ours. I, I hate when it's 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 this comparison piece, but the fan base is there. If if those that need proof, you can find it. You know, you'll find arguments against it, but really, if we come down to like just the baseline of what it means to be an equal society, it's not right. That's it. Um, a, a sign of the growth of the global game, um, the global women's game, is is the WICC, which is coming. Yeah. Um, to Portland in August. Um, obviously, the fact that the Thorns are able to compete in and win that tournament is, is a sign of, of the club's prestige, really, on a global stage. Uh, what, what can you say about the excitement for, for the group to be able to host that uh, event and, and try and win it again this year? Yeah, I think uh, there's a, there's it's not fads, that's the wrong word, but you do see at different times different leagues take priority or and we did see uh quite a few players head over to the uk or to europe in the last few years and then it's now starting to stabilize obviously with the cba and all the work being done behind the scenes to, to push the levels of the nwsl um we're now seeing a real parity across those leagues which is it's, it's exciting players have more places to choose from to find the right team for them in their development and tournaments like this give a good gauge of of where everyone is at, but also of one another's players and just um, showcasing um, different talents across the world. It's it's uh, excellent for the team, having Mexican teams more involved and then seeing the other tournaments happening uh, across the league as well. Um, it can only be good for the women's game. Going back to, to the Thorns specifically, second half of the season, 
Um, what do you think it's going to take to maintain this this kind of rhythm that the team has gotten onto going into the break, uh, coming out of it? Yeah, well, I think the the six nothing win was an anomaly, but uh, the the performance piece and what we're trying to achieve um, that's where we need to. to to find the consistency and keep the play for the Portland Thorns that will be away for the next few games. Um, what an opportunity to showcase the incredible talent and depth we do have here. Um, the expectation is consistency across all things. So um, I think that's uh, for the second part of the season. The first chunk of that is this international window, which needs to be um, a real focus right now and making sure that we're keeping our standards high, no matter who's on the field uh, or what structure we're playing. Um, and then making sure we finish strong and don't look ahead of ourselves one game at a time. Um, we've, like I said, no matter who's on the field, we've got to find our consistency. And if we're delivering what we do so well, I think it'll be a good season. Do you wish the break was a little bit longer so so maybe there there wasn't that kind of overlap where, where you're missing players for, for games that count? The break was a little longer? Yeah, just, just to have, have a little uh, more of a window where there are there aren't games played. I thought you meant the international break. Oh no, no, I'm good. Um, yeah, I mean, ideally, it's we would align with the international window. I think you know these are the some very exciting players in the league that the audiences want to watch, and we want to see them play. Um, it also is they they they're playing a lot of soccer. Those international players, so. Um, just trying to make sure that they get the rest and recover they need as well is, is always a balance. Just because they're here doesn't mean that they can play every game once they're back. They're, they're playing a lot of soccer. So ideally, yes, um, we, would, we wouldn't we would miss them for so many games. But uh, what we will look at it as is a fantastic opportunity that this league does give players that don't get as many minutes when the internationals are here. Definitely. Well, thank you very much, Reen, for for taking the time today. Uh, glad to have you on and look forward to having you on more in the future as, as this season progresses and as the, the years go by with this uh, Thorns Club. So thanks again for your time. Thanks, Ryan. Of course. We'll be right back here on Soccer Made in Portland after a quick break. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to Soccer Made in Portland. Ryan Clark here with Chris Reifer. I want to thank Reen Wilkinson for her time. Uh, during that interview that we recorded last week, uh, always great to hear from her. Uh, her perspective is is an interesting one, and, and no shortage of uh, strong opinions as well. We love to hear that from uh, folks in the football world. Uh, you know that, that that's the beauty of this game uh, is is the ability to make change through the voice and platform that you have. So so love to hear what Rian had to say. Uh, we will transition now to the Portland Timbers who. Uh, coming off two consecutive wins uh, for the first time this season, which is a big deal for this team, uh, especially considering the the lack of form they had been in leading into the international break. Uh, Two straight home wins over Houston and the Colorado Rapids. Uh, We're able to pull out that Houston game 2-1 last night at Providence Park. 
fun night. Uh, a little bit sketchy down the stretch for for the the boys in uh, pink last night. Not just uh, down the stretch. Basically yeah. throughout. <laughs> yeah, basically throughout. I mean, they were outshot twenty four to ten. So they they were just it, Houston kept hitting a brick wall, which you know credit to the Timbers back line for holding their own uh, to a point, but the uh the chances were in no small amount for Houston in that game. Uh Colorado was a, a bit stronger for, of an overall performance, a shutout 3-0 win for the Timbers, uh but a bit worse of a of a side in in terms of just the eye test for that Colorado Rapids team. Um bit better performance though, really for the Timbers. So uh, going forward, going at, on the road to Nashville next, uh, and then on the road at Seattle, two really tough games. Uh, and we talked about it last week that these were must-win contests for, for the Timbers, and they took care of business. Yeah, I mean, you know, what did we say? Six points are busting. They got the six points. And so that's, you know, that's the, that's the biggest takeaway. We spent a lot of time this year talking about uh, about performances, and we'll talk about performances today because it's it, it's still important. Um, but the entire thrust of our show, what was it a week, a week ago now, um, was performances be, be danged. It's a family show, um, (laughs) performances be danged. Uh, the, you know, uh, the, uh, you know, they need points and, and they got them, um, which is critical that, 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 you know, that certainly doesn't mean they've climbed the mountain. They're, they're still far closer to base camp than they are to the summit. Uh, in terms of the task of climbing back into playoff position and getting themselves where they want to be uh, on the table. 1.2 points per game is nothing to slap on your resume, uh, which is right about where the, the, the Timbers are sitting now. But it's a lot better uh, than it was just a few days ago, which was at one point per game. Uh, and so, you know, the, the good first steps uh, toward getting the, the, the team back where they need to go um, and where they need to be uh, but boy, there's still a long ways to go uh, on on what remains a pretty monumental task of of overcoming a disastrous start to the season. Um, and so, you know, credit to them for for getting the points. Credit to them for grinding out uh, three points uh, against Houston and finding a way on a day in which I thought the Timbers were frankly quite poor um, and and were pretty obviously outplayed uh, on their home field. Um, and, and, and they got the points, which is which is what they've they've desperately needed. So, you know, I, I, I guess I'll kick back to you, Ryan. Coming out of these two games, are you more encouraged or concerned? Uh, are you encouraged by the points uh, and maybe the performance against Colorado? Or, or are you more concerned by the performance against Houston, which, you know, Houston is still not a playoff team. Um, they're right, right about where the Timbers are at about uh, a point and a quarter per game. Um, are you discouraged by the fact that, that the Dynamo came in and, and, you know, got some good punches in on the Timbers? You know, generally, I, I would say that I'm encouraged by the way that they played in, in this combination of two games. Um, I think that in previous matches where things went the way they did against Houston, uh, that, that's a situation where Portland would um, either have given up the draw at the end, which it, it darn near did <laughs> down the stretch, or uh, outright lost the game because they, they, uh, they being Houston, finished their chances. Um, we've seen that throughout the season. So for them to come out of that game, I think, is a, is, with a win is, is a sign of resilience in my eyes. 
um, and, and an ability to hang on to a result that they may not necessarily have deserved. Uh, doing that type of thing is going to be a key to finishing the season strong because, you know, given the talent gaps this team faces against other teams in the West, uh, you're going to have those games where you're, whether deserve it or not, you're in a strong position and you got to hang on to it. Uh, the Timbers have not at all showcased an ability to do that throughout this season. And, and I think that the Houston game was an exception to the rule. Uh, definitely more encouraged generally by the play against Colorado. I think that was one of Portland's more complete performances of the season. Um, that Colorado team has been up and down this year. Um, but, you know, end to end, I think Portland was the better team in that game. Uh, and, and played very well, finished their chances. And that's really been, you know, the biggest talking point, particularly from Giovanni Savarese, uh, is, you know, having good attacking moments, but not having those chances. And then once you get the chances, you got to finish them. I think they did all that and the other uh, in in most of those situations throughout these two games, I thought Santiago Moreno's performance uh, against Houston was spectacular, stepped up to the, to the PK spot and nailed one with pace, then comes down and on one of the best runs of play I've seen from this Timbers team this season, you got a ball that goes, yeah, Blanco. Yeah, exactly. Blanco to Yimmy to, to Moreno. Uh, I mean, that was, that was awesome. That was the kind of play that, um, these guys are capable of, I think it's just a matter of, you know, putting those runs together, being consistent, uh, being in, in the kind of, um, mental space to complete those kind of runs. Uh, it hasn't really been there consistently this year. And so to me, I, I think it's overall a very positive thing that they came out of these two games with six points, but the true test of whether this is, just a, a pair of one-offs uh, is going to be these two road games at Nashville and Seattle. You know, Portland has um, oddly enough been a, been a pretty solid road team compared to how it's been at home this year. Uh, but these are two teams that are very much in the playoff hunt, very much uh, coming into form as, as the season to continues to progress. Uh, and they're ones that Portland is chasing. So if you can come out of this road trip with, uh, three or four points total. Um, I I would start to believe that a turnaround is is beginning to form. Um, there is also a scenario that is very much realistic where you come out of these two games with zero. You know, this uh, yep. Nashville team has has proven its metal this year, uh, and a game up in Seattle, you, you know that the Sounders are going to be up for that, and and they are rounding into form as well. Um, you know, Portland only trails Seattle by one point in the standings, but they have two couple games in po- hand. A couple games in hand, so, yeah. There. Yeah, yeah. So that uh, that kind of clouds the clarity of, of that whole situation. But I would say that um, that's going to be an exciting game regardless. I think that'll that'll be more likely to be competitive than the Nashville game. I think Nashville, particularly because you won't have Bill Tuiloma in that game uh, with the suspension after his red card, which we can talk about whether or not he deserved uh, that or not. But without him, that Nashville game is going to be tough on Sunday. 
I agree. The one caveat being that Nashville last night played 120 minutes and went to penalties in U.S. Open Cup against Orlando, which, you know, I, and, and that was a game in, in which Nashville did empty the tank a little bit. They, they played their starters. Um, and so, you know, I mean, the, the, the Timbers have that little bit of, of benefit. But look, yeah, I, I think you're spot on with these next two games. These, these next two road games against two teams that are sitting in the five to seven spots in the West that the Timbers have realistic aspirations of being able uh, to, to chase realistic ish aspirations of being able to, to chase still, still a ways to go. Um, these are six pointers though. Uh, if, if that's where the Timbers want to get, um, and you know, I mean, I, I think you, you know, sort of, sort of assessing the, the number of points that Timbers can come back with. I think they could even come back with two. If they came back with two draws, I think they'd feel decent about that just because they are six pointers and those would be home points denied to a couple teams that the, that the Timbers are chasing. I think they'd feel okay with that. Um, but the stakes of losing uh, these games, uh, you know, if they lose both, it's it's a big problem. Um, e- even if they, they drop one of them, uh, depending on what happens in the other, I think that would be a little bit more equivocal of a result. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I think it's a huge road trip. Um, you know, sort, sort of turning to the, the game against Houston, uh, I thought, you know, Houston is a really physical team. Uh, they they have some some deficits in talent at spots, uh, and this this year they have sort of tried to compensate for that with some modest success um, by you know being pretty physical and being pretty rough. They lead the league in yellow cards, which is no small accomplishment when you've got the Portland Timbers also in the league because the Timbers pick up yellow cards. Uh, uh, yeah, like, and last like last night was an example for both sides. Ten, no doubt. ten total yellows. Uh, handed out. I mean, a little bit of a quick trigger from the referee, but honestly, I didn't think any of them were egregiously wrong, including Tuiloma's second, to be frank. Um, I, 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 you know, I didn't think, excuse me, that, that any of those were, were, you know, just wildly incorrect. Um, I think he certainly could have kept a couple in his pocket if he'd liked. Um, but it was a physical game. There were, there were frankly a lot of challenges in which players were pretty laid into. Um, a lot of pretty t- tactical fouls, the kinds of fouls that you want to see referees giving yellow cards for. And so, you know, I didn't come away from the game in light of the the 10 yellow cards thinking it was an egregiously badly refereed game. Um, I thought it was a pretty physical game, uh, a game that you'd expect to have quite a few yellow cards. Um, and and with respect to Tui Lomas, uh, two, the first one was obvious, no doubter. Um, and the second one I think was maybe debatable, but not crazy he was late. He was, he was, he, he, he came in, he got a chunk of the player and he didn't get any of the ball. Um, you know, I, I didn't think it was a particularly promising attacking situation. The, 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 the Houston player also missed the ball. Um, and so, you know, I mean, I, I think there's an argument to be made, but is that the most outrageous call I've seen this weekend? No. Not even close. Is that the most outrageous call I've seen this year? Certainly not. Not even close. Um, but you know, I mean, the 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 more worrying thing, if I'm the Timbers, is their inability to sort of exert some control over the game. Um, now, again, as just as I just talked about, Houston's a team that sort of wants to create chaos and wants to create physicality, but especially once the Timbers went up 2-0. So much of their prerogative in that game state is just to settle things down, is just to keep that kind of chaos out of the game um, so that there are fewer opportunities for Houston to cut into that lead. So that there are fewer, op- you know, I mean, just 
opportunities for weird things to happen. Sending off, players getting sent off, and that kind of thing that can cause a lead like that to evaporate. And the Timbers failed utterly at that task. Oh, the the game was was a a total just just heavyweight boxing match of the, of the two teams trading blows, which is not the worst thing in the world, but it's not what you want when you take a two zero lead. Oh, and so I I think the inability to control that game, especially through midfield, was pretty disappointing. And frankly, you know, I I thought leading up to the two goals that the Timbers scored within a, about a minute of each other, the Timbers got beat pretty soundly. I mean, Houston was was unlucky to be up one, not to be up at least one zero. Oh, by that point, they had a number of chances. The Timbers had very little. Um, the Timbers looked pretty sloppy in back, in particular. Um, something that I, I thought they improved a little bit as the as the game went along, especially when they you know parked the bus in the last uh, in the last fifteen or twenty minutes after Tui Lemon went off. But uh, the the inability to control that game through midfield was was something that was really concerning to me. And, and, and that's something that, that I think they're going to really need to improve quite a bit um, if they hope to, uh, if, if they hope to be successful going forward and if they're going to, you know, get, get to the point where they're going to, um, where they're going to get back into the playoffs. One of the things, and I think we actually saw a little bit of an adjustment on this in the second half that concerns me is whether that four, two, three, one that worked well against Colorado that caused problems um, against the galaxy, whether that four, two, three, one is defensively stable enough. Um, And I I think the reality is you've got sort of the three, sort of the, the the three attacking midfield players, uh, Jimmy Chara, Sebastian Blanco and Santiago Moreno. I think there are reasonable questions about whether there's enough defense. Uh, in those three obviously those are primarily attacking players so you're not going to be asking them to primarily defend but you need your wingers to defend when you're playing in a 4-2-3-1 you need to get defensive contributions from them and they just got very little Jimmy Chara is a is a capable defender for his position uh, but neither Blanco nor Moreno are Uh, and uh, and I think they were getting ripped open uh, pretty consistently <laughs> uh, by, by, by Houston uh, when they're there. Now, the Timbers tucked in Jimmy Chara a little bit in the second half, which I think helped them defensively. They, they weren't quite as vulnerable as they were in the first half, but it made it so they, you know, even in the beginning of the second half, they basically couldn't get their foot on the ball. Um, and the chances really dried up for the Timbers. And, and so figuring that out, uh, is is I think going to be a challenge for for Gio Savarese. He made this move back to the four two three one, had some good success against the Galaxy and against Colorado, but if teams are going to attack them the way Houston did, um, that may not be a permanent move, and he may need to figure out another way to do it. So you know that concerns me. And then the the, the other thing that I think just has to be acknowledged as a problem um, is the Timbers' pretty extreme inability to keep eleven players on the field. That was the fifth time a Timber has been sent off this year. That is unacceptable. Um, that's that's more than a season's worth of red cards in half a season. The Timbers lead MLS uh, in red cards. And if they're going to be getting players sent off every third or fourth game, they're not getting to the playoffs. Like, that's that's another thing that's like a, a – dropping those results and, and losing those points just from those games is going to be enough that that's going to end the season. And so – you know, yes, are referees quicker on yellow cards this year than they seem to have been? It seems so, but it's affecting the Timbers more than almost any other team in the league. Um, 
and 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 they're not being smart enough and they're not being disciplined enough uh, to avoid the consequences. You look at Tui Loma's sending off yesterday. You know, you can debate whether that second yellow should have been given as a second yellow, but it was a dumb challenge. He was late into it. And when you're on a yellow card, you can't do that. You have to be smarter than that. Oh, you you look at at some of the the sendings off that that the Timbers have had with Von Rankin. By the way, are we do we agree it's sendings off rather than sending offs? Sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Because are we going to Brent Musburger? This? I mean, I don't. I don't. I, I don't think either of them are right. If we're being like completely a hundred percent real, what, what would you say? But I, if if I had to pick, if I had to pick one, I'd say sendings off. Right. What, what, sending what is, offs. Sending off seems wrong. Like he, yeah, yeah, offs. Yeah, yeah the, that the that, off that is, part of it makes it wrong. Because the off is the is the adjective, right? In the the I guess the verb, or the or the the noun modification <laughs> to, to, of the verb is is sending. Um, S- send in your best versions of this phrase, folks. <laughs> we'll we'll try. <laughs> if you have any other ways we can say this. Yes, if if you have any other ways to to add to the mix, we're we're happy to to hear them. But and, yeah, I mean Van Rankin's one of them that uh, that he makes up a, a good portion of those. And and today is the day that his uh, loan expires, so we'll see what happens with that. I am which am is exactly what Gio Savarese said last night. Yeah, that's I mean that's verbatim what Gio said last night. Uh, it was we'll see. Um, I'm not terribly optimistic that they're going to keep him around i think they'll probably let him let his loan expire and uh throw bonilla in there for a few games until they find somebody that uh, can fill that spot a little bit better than van rankin has this year um you know it's, it's unfortunate because i think that van rankin has a really good uh reputation with the team like among the guys that are on the team he's he's very friendly with them particularly sebastian polanco uh, and some other guys uh, so that'll be tough for for the sake of the team's chemistry, but you know, the performances, uh, the performance aspect, I should say, um, is just too much to overlook at this point. He, he's he's struggled pretty mightily this year. I think that in the recent run of games, he's actually been quite a bit better. Yeah. I don't know if that's that's a playing for your contract type of situation yeah, or or like what, it, but um, but you know, the, the gap between him and Claudio Bravo uh, this season on the edges back there is, is uh, pretty significant. And and I think Bravo is one who has really come into strong form lately. So if they can find somebody like that to, to hold it down, uh, even somebody better, I, I think that that would be extremely beneficial to make up some of the shortcomings that you were talking about, you know, with those attacking midfielders with the wingers who um, may not be the most talented defensive players. Yes. You know, they've put, Jimmy Chara in like a, a right back situation before this season, but that was more out of necessity than than his overwhelming ability to be a strong defender. Just because his last name is Chara doesn't mean that he is you know going to to lock people down. Um, and and the the same goes for uh, Moreno and Blanco. I mean, uh, those two guys, you're not really going to get much of anything from them on that end. So you know, shoring that position up as Gavin Wilkinson and others in the Timbers organization have said, um, is the number one priority for this window. Uh, when that happens, how quickly that happens remains to be seen. Uh, but I would expect uh, the team to move on from Jose Carlos Van Rankin 
barring any last minute changes of heart in that regard. Yeah, I think that's, you know, I mean, that that's certainly where things have been pointing for some time now. Uh, and it's, you know, I mean, uh, a couple of good games or a couple of three pretty good games uh, for, for, for Von Ranking over the course of the last couple of weeks doesn't save what was a disastrous first half of the season for him. Um, and what wasn't, you know, uh, uh, what was an okay, but not great and somewhat inconsistent 2021. Um, and so, you know, the, the, the reasons why the team has targeted that position as a place to look to, uh, to improve, uh, an upgrade, which is a, uh, a bit of a buzzword in, in the Rose city, uh, are, are obvious and they're very clear and, and they're right. Um, and so, you know, I, yeah, I, exactly how that that works out, exactly what the the terms uh, are uh, in terms of how that plays out for for Von Ankin, whether he leaves, whether he stays for the remainder of the season, but in primarily a backup role and on a cheap enough salary number. I, I you know, I think that is uh, that's what we're we're waiting to find out uh, in the next few days, and probably well in the next few days. Um, but uh, but you, you know, uh, the sooner you know, the Timbers are able to make that move to bring in the upgrade um, or the, the putative upgrade uh, is uh, the, the better. But, you know, I mean, from just a global perspective, with respect to the yellow cards and with respect to the red cards, it, it's a problem. I mean, it put points in danger yesterday. Um, and it has put points in danger on other days. Uh, and it has resulted in lost points uh, on some days, and and it just can't continue. I mean, the Timbers right now, I think, are are on track for between nine and ten red cards this year. That's 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 impossibly high. That that can't yeah. happen. That cannot happen. And if it does, nothing good is going to come out of the season. Um, and so collectively, they need to be smarter. the the other The other player that I I, I thought was frankly a little bit disappointing after having a good game against Colorado. Uh, against Houston was Eric Williamson. I thought defensively he took a lot of risks. He was he was, you know, betting it all on black and, and leaving it to fate uh, uh, on, on the field yesterday. And they often did not come off. Um, and often that put that put the rest of uh, of the defense, which wasn't getting a whole lot of defensive chipping from its wingers, in a really bad spot where they would have, you know, three or four on five kinds of situations against the Dynamo. Uh, which aren't good places, aren't places that you regularly want to be putting your back line in. Uh, and I thought the, the back line was cleaner later in the game than it was earlier. Um, I thought it was a little bit sloppy and gave up a couple chances through some sloppiness early in the game. Um, they got cleaner, but, you, I mean, you know, even that notwithstanding, you can't put them in those kinds of positions, and you can't take and, and regularly lose the kinds of gambles that Williamson was losing on the defensive side of the ball yesterday. Oh. Yeah, no, and I, I think that um, they moved to Ayala in that position eventually, and it got a uh, lot better <laughs> out of out of necessity, and it got a lot better, you know. It, and they only did that because Bill got sent off, and they yep. moved to the more defensive oriented uh, alignment. But um, I, I think, given the fact that Eric has not fully returned to uh, pre injury form, uh, because he he did have some injury issues going into the break, and then. Um, really didn't play at all in, in the game against the Galaxy. Um, having him go 77 minutes, I, I think, was a bit too much. I, I think that um, Ayala would have been an, a good sub to make probably 20, yeah. 25 minutes earlier than that, uh, just just to get a fresh body in there that would 
potentially do a better job. I think that, you know, this isn't us discrediting Eric's play this season. I think that Eric has been excellent overall for, for them this season so far, but this was one of his, his worst games, yeah, when, I think. When healthy and in form, I think Eric Williamson is one of the Timbers' easily five best players. Oh, um, definitely. And, and, and so, you know, this isn't to say that, 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 that it's time to, you know, throw, throw Eric to, you know, put, put him on, on Jose Von Ronquin's bus. <laughs> We're not doing that uh, <laughs> uh, by any means, but, but, you know, I mean, look, it, 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 last night for me is an opportunity for the Timbers to learn after a win. And if they learn after a win, then they can, then, you know, I mean, they, they've got a shot. Uh, but there's some real learning and there's some real accountability to do after that win because there are some hands that should be going up saying I need to be better uh, in in these moments and I need to do more. Uh, and, I, and I think he's one of them. Uh, but yeah, uh, I also want to know just because we haven't really had a chance to, to talk about it. Uh, you mentioned Claudio Bravo uh, on a strong run of form. I agree. Uh, the best pass of the, of the Colorado game was not Bill Tuilona's. It was Claudio Bravo's ball to put Santiago Moreno through that drew the penalty. That was like genius. He cut lines. It was just a it was a straight through ball on the ground, perfectly weighted that allowed Moreno to make a bending run in behind that 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 ultimately uh, got Yarbrough to come out and, and 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 bungle into him. That was one of the best passes any Timber has made this year. Um, Bill Tuilomas yeah, later was, massive... was was good too. <laughs> Um, oh, it was awesome. But but it, it, it doesn't hold a candle to, to Bravos. Yeah, I think Bravos caused that massive collision, you know. Yeah. Um, ho- hopefully um, Yarbrough is okay now uh, recovering from that because he looked really messed yeah, up. Yeah, that was after a, that a pretty play. scary collision. Um, right. But the ball, the ball was great. I mean, that's a, that's Can't, just a really yeah. high degree of difficulty. It's a, it's a really small window to be able to fit it through as many players as he did. And to pick the window that he did was super counterintuitive and I thought was was brilliant. Um, and so I, I, I loved the idea and the execution on that pass, uh, take, taking nothing away from Tui Loma's later pass, which was also very good. And is also a, a, a good demonstration of why the scouting report on Bill Tui Loma has to be you must press him. Like, you have to press Bill Tuiloma. If you don't press Bill Tuiloma, he does that pretty regularly. He, pretty regularly where he'll drop dimes. Um, and so, you know, in, in many ways, <laughs> it wasn't really that surprising because they didn't press him. It was almost comical. Uh, they had guys just, like, looking at him, uh, like, stubbornly refusing to press. And Tuiloma was like, all right, well, all right, we're doing this, I guess. Um, and then he did it. Uh, and, 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 and a nice, uh, nice takedown and finish, uh, certainly from Nish Goda, giving him credit where it's due. We can talk about that. Yeah, we have, we, uh, we, we have talked plenty about, about Nish Goda on this podcast and, and I, I, we have not yet given him credit where it's due for his brace on Saturday. Yeah. Uh, so, so got to do it there. Um, I thought, I think that in these last two games, um, prior to him being subbed off for Felipe Mora in the 61st of, of this most recent game. Uh, he's been in great form, and and I think that you've seen an activity level from him that has not really previously existed. You know, he's did he play against he's Houston? Lo- he's Nisgoda. Yeah, I was there. I watched the game. I'm not sure he played. Okay, well, <laughs> that 
observation <laughs> in in the midst of giving him credit we we always have to go back to to these type of discussions but <laughs> he um the reason for that that you might be looking for there uh is he felt some tightness uh in his quad according to uh Giovanni Savarese so he's he was dealing with some uh recovery issues in terms of the injury that he had dealt with before um and and so they brought more on a little bit early uh the earlier than they wanted to uh <laughs> Giovanni Savarese said that Mora was huffing and puffing a little bit towards the end because he's not quite in the the shape to be able to play um 30 minutes just yet but you know a good good run for him to to get back on the field uh needs go to though um not nearly as big of a contributor against Houston. Yeah. Um, he kind of used up all of his mojo uh, <laughs> against uh, against Colorado. And, and credit to him, he, f- he finished him off. But um, the one where he made the run and got the pass from Tui Loma especially, I thought was um, was the best one. Uh, the My favorite quote of the weekend came from him as well. Um, there, there's a certain... Um, literal and dry humor to the Eastern European culture that I think is, uh, is particularly strong with a guy like Nisgoda. He, he was asked by, uh, another reporter at the press conference, Paul Danzer from the Portland Tribune, uh, asked him, uh, what he saw on that play where Tui Loma passed him, uh, that beauty from, from beyond midfield. Uh, and Nisgoda said, uh, what did I see? I saw the ball just straight up like that. So objectively that, though, uh, not the, not that, the that, quote that's... of the week, right? I mean, the, the quote of the week is definitely Alyazi Vacic when asked about Steve Clark saying, I don't think about him at all. <laughs> okay. I love that, but I love literal humor more. <laughs> you know, I, I love, I love, I love just like the, the deadpan um, literal answers for, from Yarrow even more, but can't, can't uh, sleep on the fact that the, uh, the goalkeeper rivalry is very much a, a thing between Ivacic and Steve Clark. I don't think about him at all, he says to me when I ask that question that uh, at, at their midweek press conference. And then last night, um, you know, he's he's sitting there at the postgame presser, Ivacic is. Uh, nobody had asked him about that yet. Uh, I had gone out of my way not to ask him about it because he, he was kind of um, – you know, seemed a little bit uncomfortable with the question when we first discussed it. And so then he's sitting there and he just kind of looks over at me and is waiting for me to ask about it. This is after the (laughs) recording has ended. And and I go, so did you talk to Steve pregame? And he goes, oh yeah, we said hello. And I was like, that's it. And he goes, yeah, that's it. And I was like, okay, good. That's progress. So they said, they said hello to each other, which um, is more than can be said for the first time these teams met this season when it was a very frosty interaction. So uh, returning to the to the subject of Yaroslav Nishkoda, I, I think these last two games have been sort of the the the, the Yarik experience in Portland. Um, you know, he was somewhat active uh, against Colorado, but got the two goals. And, you know, if he's somewhat active and gets the two goals, you're going to say, great. If he's somewhat active and, and is even just regularly scoring goals, that's that's you know more or less what you hope for. He might not be a game changer. He might not be the kind of guy that strikes a ton of fear into into um, into other teams. Um, but he, you know, is is a threat, and that's what you want from your number nine. He was 
really, really poor in his hour against Houston. Uh, we're talking uh, season lows or near season lows in touches, in passes, in sort of all of the usage statistics when, that you look to when, when you see when you want to see like how how well a a, a striker is being used. Obviously, he had one shot, uh, no goals, no. Nothing even particularly close to being a goal. Not a lot of danger. Uh, you know, I, I was struck by the number of times Timbers were playing pretty direct, and so they were playing a good number of entry balls uh, into the box. I was struck by the number of times uh, they those entry balls were going to Sebastian Blanco, who is, what, like 5'6", five, 5'7", five, tops? Um, and Jimmy Chara, who is like a good two inches shorter than Blanco. Uh, and, and, and the Timbers are playing, you know, pretty deep crosses and entry balls, to those guys, and, and to their credit, they won a surprising number of them. <laughs> uh, you know, so so like good on them, including the one that uh, that, that that Chara drew the penalty on. Uh, but those need to be going in for for Nish Gunnett. Those need to be going in for your number nine. That's your target. That's why you call them a target. <laughs> uh, and and yet it was the other guys who were being targeted. Uh, and, and when a team is playing the way that Houston was playing, pretty physical, really trying to gum things up, you want to be able to be direct. You want to be able to play through your striker. You need to find the players on your team who have the strength, who have the frame, who have the ability to be able to hold the ball up, to be able to connect, uh, and to be able to, to, to allow you to play out of the tight spots that the, the Dynamo were creating for the Timbers. And Nishgoda failed entirely to provide any of that in any meaningful sense over the course of the game. Um... And, you know, unless the guy is going to be bagging a brace every other game, those kinds of performances make him unplayable. It was like the Timbers yeah, were playing it, it with almost, 10. It almost rushes Mora into, into more of a exactly. um, playing role uh, earlier than he might be ready for, you know. Um, Gio put him in uh, with about 30 minutes to go only because Nisgoda had talked to him about that tightness in his, his quad. But... Um, that it might become a necessity thing beyond injury uh, if if there are performances that continue to happen like that and and there's this is far from the only game this year where he's he's been ineffective. We've talked at length about that on this podcast. Um, you know it it can't be uh, that type of scenario. Uh, eight eight or nine out of ten games, and then you have the one game, and and suddenly Sorry. that that you know, washes your hands of it. You're all good. Um, I think that he deserves credit for, for the way he played on Saturday. Yeah, he was totally very agree. active and Especially played well, but maybe half. he, yeah, maybe he overexerted himself. Um, and, and, you know, when you're, um, I, I think that the recovery from major knee surgery lingers well beyond when guys are able to be fully active and fit. I, I think that even, when you're in a point where you are capable of playing 90 minutes uh, without issue, uh, there's still a, a hampering to that. There's there's a cautiousness that you may um, have as an athlete. There, there's the mental aspect of, of worrying about overexerting yourself and, and potentially re-injuring yourself. Um, so it lingers, and, and you know I, it's only speculative to guess if that's what's impacting these go to this season, but... Um, you never really see the full version of a guy after an injury like that until maybe the season after his return season. Um, and sometimes you never see it at all. Sometimes those injuries yep. just 
hamper a guy and, and put him on kind of a downhill spiral for his career, depending on how old he is. So, um, you know, hopefully he can find some form of rhythm uh, because they need him for, for this stretch that Mora uh, is returning to form. Uh, Mora had a nice header that hit the dang yeah, crossbar. Yeah, yeah, he was unlucky. So, so that was a little flash of like, okay, that he's like finding himself in strong positions and, and there's little flashes in the pan for him where he's starting to look like a player again. Yeah. Right now he's just kind of running around. Felipe Mora was more dangerous in 30 minutes on the field, most of which happened with 10 men, than Yaroslav Nishgoda was for, in 60 minutes with 11 men. Oh. Right, and that's the expectation for when you, you get him um, back into form is for him to be your starter. Right. Um, at that point, you know, Fulgasa is pretty much out of the picture. You know, I, I think he filled in admirably, but at this point you you are trending towards an area where you start more and finish with Nishgoda. Um and I think that's the best case scenario with the current roster that Portland has. Yeah. Um, or maybe start more. Yeah, there are very, that. yeah, that also would be nice, <laughs> but you know, given the trajectory he's on, um, it would be hard to envision that happening uh, until very close to, if not during the playoffs where he'd be ready to, to go a full 90, you know, his, his recovery uh, to even get to this point, was significantly longer than they originally yeah. said. They said six weeks, and it ended up being four months. So it's going to be interesting. But it is uh, difficult times uh, on uh, on that front. I think you know. I mean, it's sort of a juggling act with both uh, the 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 striker uh, position and uh, and uh, the 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 right back position. Uh, I wouldn't be be shocked. I agree that you know. Nathan Fergasa is as he should be, uh, and as he was signed to be, uh, sort of a depth guy, sort of going forward. Um, but the, uh, you know, the uh, the the they might need him in the short term, including uh, this upcoming weekend. If Nishigoda isn't a hundred percent, I think coming off that performance, you feel no impetus and no pressure to to rush Nishigoda back into in, in, into into service. Uh, and think you might be just as just as well off, if not better off, with with Fogasa um, taking up the the starting mantle, and then and then Mora coming in to like likely coming in to finish it off. Subject to his <coughs> excuse me, subject to his availability. Definitely, uh, we'll move on though uh, before we wrap things up here to um, the Thorns. Obviously, they have not played uh, since we last had a podcast, but. They play tomorrow, that's Friday, July 1st, against Angel City FC. Uh, Sydney LaRue, a new addition to Angel City, which is exciting for them. Uh, doesn't necessarily fill the void of, of a player like Kristen Press, who has been phenomenal this year. Uh, LaRue is, is kind of on the back end of her career. But, um, you know, an exciting name added to that Angel City squad. Uh, the, the Tim, or the, excuse me, the Thorns, um, and the Angel City, to a lesser degree, uh, are going to be missing quite a few players uh, for national team duty with the United States, with Puerto Rico, with uh, Japan, with Finland. I mean, this is what happens when you have some of the top players in the world <laughs> across your roster. Uh, NWSL squads get hit so much harder than MLS squads yeah. do. Uh, and, and their break is shorter, so they don't really have the opportunity to avoid it. Um, getting some points out of this upcoming stretch of games for the Thorns will be 
pretty important, honestly, because you, you have, um, you know, the confidence that once you get your main characters back that you will return at some point to the level of play that you were on before this break. But you're looking at two, three, maybe four games played prior to, to getting them back um, at the very least three because the Angel City games July 1st, uh, the Thorns go on the road to play well, OL Rain on July 10th, and then on the 16th, they host uh, Gotham FC here in Portland. Um, you're not going to have the U.S. players for any of that. Um, you're not going to have the uh, Rocky Rodriguez uh, committed to, to Puerto Rico. You're probably not going to have Hina Suguda for much of that. Uh, Janine Becky and Christine Sinclair are <laughs> uh, busy with CONCACAF stuff with Canada. So it's it's pretty thin. They've signed a, a trio of replacement players that'll help fill the void in some respect. But um, it's interesting to, to approach games like this uh, for Rian Wilkinson and company um, coming down the stretch here. It feels like in so many NWSL seasons, this kind of stretch is sort of what determines the shield race. Um, and it's a, you know, there, there is a stretch like this seemingly every year where there's some sort of tournament, uh, major or otherwise, and there's a whole other side discussion to be had about CONCACAF's, the structure of, Con- of CONCACAF's women's tournaments, <laughs> whole other discussion for probably a whole other podcast. Um, but, uh, but you know, I mean, it, it is just sort of a fact of life, whether it's Olympics or, 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 you know. Uh, Euros or qualifying or the World Cup, obviously, there is something like this that happens most years. Uh, and in many years, this is the stretch that ends up determining sort of who's going to come out on top of, of the shield race because there are games to be played, there are points to be won, uh, and and teams that are able to manage the absences and, and who are able to allow their depth to shine, uh, you know, have a better chance of coming out on top. Uh, than uh, than than those that don't. I think this is a really critical stretch for the for the Thorns, uh, and there are a couple of players that I think are are huge. Uh, you know, Angel City is not hit as hard as some other teams, and neither is Gotham. Uh, although Gotham is certainly missing a couple of key players, um, but Angel City is not hit as hard as some other teams. But they're also just not as deep as many other teams because they're an expansion team. And so I I think as the Thorns look at each of these three games. They've really got a punching chance in all of them. Um, going down to Angel City, uh, you certainly wouldn't put the Thorns, uh, even as depleted as they are, on a significant disadvantage. Uh, the Rain uh, are hit as hard as any club in NWSL. I think they're projected to lose something like eight regular starters. Um, the Thorns are between six and seven for for this period. Uh, and so they are really, really, really depleted. They're going to be really uh, sort of scraping the bottom of the barrel of the bench, uh, so to speak, in terms of, uh, of of trying to compensate for their losses. Uh, and so that makes that very much a game. And then Gotham is, I, I think, a team that that nobody would dispute that the Thorns sort of have more depth than at the start. They're not l- losing quite as many, but, you know, I mean, Mewis is, gonna, is gone. They've got a, a, a number of other absences uh, that, that are going to affect them, and it's a home game for the Thorns. And so you're you're looking at this stretch, and even though it's a very different team, and they're going to be very different games uh, than they would otherwise be uh, because of the absences, uh, it's it's a critical one for the Thorns, and and they get to have these games on full rest, which is which is important. 
Um, but being able to to get points out of uh, out of these, as ugly as those points may be, is what's going to determine whether the Thorns are are you know merely a very good team or, or a Shield contender or the Shield favorite. On the other hand, if they can come out of these games uh, with with points, uh, and so you know, I I think it's 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 one that that uh, you know there's not the star power, but for the for the sickos. Um, these are exciting games. These are really important games, and 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 I think, uh, I think there are a couple of players on the Thorns that that this is a real opportunity. Morgan Weaver is the first that comes to mind. Without Sophia yep. Smith, she is going to be. They're going to look to to Weaver to lead the line, uh, and Weaver is is a player who has been uh, on sort of the 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 perimeter of of both the national team and to a lesser extent the the Thorns. Um, and this is an opportunity for her to say, Hey, look, I know I've got Sophia Smith on my team. I know Sophia Smith is, is, you know, an emerging international superstar. You've got another star here. I am a player that, that, that should be sort of an in pin starter, uh, for the first choice team. And I'm a player that, that Vlato Andonovsky should be looking at, uh, as, as another player that he should be bringing in to provide depth uh, across the front line of the national team. And if she can sort of step up and uh, and and sort of be the line leading number nine, uh, that I think she's capable of being. That she certainly showed at Washington State, she's capable of being. That she has showed at times with the Thorns that she's capable of being. If she can do that over the next three games, I, I think it has the potential to be a you know a career transformational is a is a is a you know uh, a, a a big phrase. But there are only so many of these kinds of opportunities that come along sort of at this stage of her, of her career when she's poised to carve out a greater role within the team, within her club, and, and with the national team. And this is one of them for Morgan. And so I, I think it's a huge, huge uh, stretch of weeks for Morgan Weaver. Yeah, and I, I think that it's it's very important for her, first and foremost. Uh, Yasmin Ryan is another one that's going to step in and have an opportunity she's proven capable uh in garbage time minutes or in rotational minutes for for the thorns this season uh kelly hubley's another and one sam that coffee. um and sam coffee you know once once she returns from um her reserve duty uh, with, with the national team for tomorrow do you know if uh, have you talked to anybody in the club if she, if she is in fact going to be back tomorrow potentially uh, i'm not sure as far as travel um, we will get the availability report um, at some point today uh, that will indicate whether or not she is capable of uh, joining the team this uh, this game but um, she would be a huge one to have you know just in terms of, of connecting runs of play and and I mean she's got like a 95 percent pass percentage this year leading the NWSL she's superb rookie of the year to me running away unless somebody else explodes. Yeah, and and in, um, I, in my view, season. in a similar place uh, to Weaver where, you know, in the Thorn central midfield, uh, you know, they've, they, they've sort of moved Sinclair through there. They've sort of moved Sugita through there. They've, they've certainly had Rocky Rodriguez in there. Coffee has sort of shown in a supporting role. She is, she has, you know, shined, I think is, is, is the correct word in a supporting in, in shown, shown, shownied. <laughs> uh, she has shined in, in, a, in a supporting role, uh, in, in sort of a, you know, not a, a sort of line leading role, uh, in that central midfield for the thorns. She's got the keys to the car now, uh, in, in, 
at least these next, at, at least two of the next three games, and maybe in all three of the next three games, she's got the keys to the car. Uh, and this is an opportunity for her. You know, I mean, she just went to her first U.S. national team camp. Um, I, I, I understand why she didn't play uh, against Colombia, especially in the second game, because they were trying out Sam Mewis as, as a six. Um, but I wish she had played. Uh, this is an opportunity for, for her to send a message to Vlatko that, hey, you should have played me, and you should play me going forward. Look what I'm doing with the Thorns. Look what I'm doing when I'm entrusted sort of with primary responsibility for central midfield for one of the best, if not the best team in NWSL. Don't try to wrench players into the succession plan at number six. Just make me your succession plan at number six. Um, and uh, I think she has she has earned that already with the Thorns, with her strong play over the course of, of the first half of the season. And I agree, she is, I think, the prohibitive favorite at this point, or close to a prohibitive favorite, um, to be Rookie of the Year. Um, but this is an opportunity for her to say, I mean, you know, stop talking about Rookie of the Year. I am an elite NWSL player. I can run an NWSL team. Um, and and it's it's really impressive that she has put herself into that kind of a spot um, this early in her career and this early in her time with the Thorns. Yeah, she's been excellent so far this season for the team. And, um, you know, this is an important run of games. So look forward to watching that and seeing how uh, they perform. Uh, it, it could end up making the difference for them as far as, as uh, winning the shield and and having a chance to stick around at Providence Park for the remainder uh, of the playoff run, however deep they are able to make a run. Um, there's no doubt in my mind that when fully healthy, this is a Thorns team that can contend for an NWSL championship. Uh, and if they're able to do so in front of what is consistently by far the largest crowd um, in NWSL, that would be huge. And it would be a great showcase, I think, um, as the game continues to grow of just how strong Portland's fan support is. People are aware of it, but I think that having a a larger stage with with more national broadcasts potentially in the works for NWSL playoffs, um, it would be great. And, And so look forward to this home stretch of games for the Thorns as they continue to wrap up their season. Uh, And that'll wrap it up for us here on Soccer Made in Portland. Uh, For Chris Reifer, I'm Ryan Clark. Thanks for joining us, and uh, be sure to subscribe, uh, rate us wherever you get your podcasts, uh, and keep on listening. Thanks, y'all.